Now to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and made us a kingdom, priest to his God and Father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Behold, he is coming with the clouds and every eye will see him and even those who pierced him and all the tribes of the earth will wail on account of him. Even so, amen. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who was and who is and who is to come the Almighty. And so, Father, it's to you that we pray this morning. The Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. You who have set all things into motion, you through whom creation found its beginning, and you alone who are creation's goal. We exist to bring you praise and to give you honor and glory. We are here for you and for your name and for your glory. So Father, whatever impression that we may gather in here each week with any sense that this is about us, Lord, could we just now once and for all set our eyes on you and be reminded this is your church. This is your kingdom. This is for your name and this is for your glory. So Father, we now submit ourselves to the power and the authority of your word as perfect and inspired and fallible and errant, as sufficient to reveal to us the salvation that has been shown in Jesus Christ. Father, would the message of the gospel be planted firmly in our hearts? Would you speak to us through your word this morning? I ask these things in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. And everyone said, amen. Amen. You can go ahead and be seated. I'm going to try to catch my breath because I about um, couldn't breathe uh, standing up here just listening to you guys sing this morning. That was uh, unbelievable. Thank you so much, worship team, uh, for, for leading us. Um, if you're our guest here today, my name is Taylor. I serve your cross as lead pastor, and we're honored to have you worshiping with us today. Uh, And as we've entered into the Advent season, last week we began looking at the Gospel of John, chapter 1, the announcement and the proclamation uh, that Jesus Christ, who is God, uh, was revealed to us in the flesh. And so what we're doing uh, for these few weeks of Advent is we're uh, working slowly through John, chapter 1, which is where we'll continue this morning. So we'll be today, uh, John 1, verses 3 through 5. If you don't have a Bible, don't own a Bible, please know uh, at the entry point as you're coming in, there's black hardback Bibles there. Again, if you don't have a Bible, don't own a Bible, feel free to grab one of those as you leave today. You can get up uh, now and grab one to use during the service, and you can keep that. Uh, that's our gift to you, and we just hope that you'll use that uh, and engage these words as we teach through them each week. Uh, over the last couple of weeks, we've been decorating our house for Christmas, and without question, our boy's favorite Christmas decoration is uh, the inflatable Mr. Grinch that sits up in our front yard. And Lincoln, who's our youngest, had been asking about this thing for weeks. And so he was really pumped when it came time to set it up. But we've had it for a few years now. Uh, and the light that was inside of the inflatable has started to dim uh, just a little bit. And so the other night, Lincoln is looking out our front door through our, our glass door. And he says, you know, Daddy, I can't see the Grinch. And so uh, our porch light was on and the Grinch sits just a few feet to the side uh, of that. And um, so with, with the porch light being on and the light inside the Grinch being a little bit dim, it was, it was difficult to see uh, him where he was. And so um, I went to the door and I turned off the porch light. And then I explained to Lincoln that uh, for the Grinch to shine brighter, his surroundings were going to have to get a little bit darker. And I'd love to say that my two-year-old son looked at me and said, ah, yes, Father, thank you for explaining. I understand. Uh, But in fact, uh, he had a meltdown and demanded that both the porch light be on and the Grinch uh, shine brighter. But in our household, it's our policy uh, to not negotiate with terrorists. So I just closed the front door uh, and he went on to bed. But the point remains, uh, the point remains, our world is a dark, dark place. And sometimes it doesn't matter what we do, it doesn't matter how hard we look, it's very, very difficult to see the light in the midst of all the darkness. There's moments where the brokenness of this world 
can overwhelm us to the point of hopelessness and despair as we try to make sense of the suffering that surrounds. You know, last week as we were gathered here as a church family in the morning for worship, there was another small group of believers in Burkina Faso who were gathering, doing the same, just about 30 of them all together in a group uh, came bursting into the door. They removed the men from the congregation. They left the women and children, uh, and they took the men outside, 14 of them, and put them to death. And it's moments like this, or moments like we saw earlier in our world this year with the hurricane uh, down in the Bahamas, the destruction, the devastation that causes. We look at these things, and it's so easy, church, just to ask the question, God, where are you at in this? Where are you in this? There's so much darkness, there's so much brokenness, there's so much death. Where could God possibly be in this? And last week we saw from verses one and two that Jesus is the Lagos. He is the eternal and incarnate word of God. As the Lagos, he is, we broke that word down, he is himself the logic and the rule and the reason and the principle that holds the universe together, that he himself is the full embodiment of knowledge and wisdom. And so through his incarnation, through coming to us in the flesh, he's come to reveal to us through the Father, and God has visited his people, and John's gospel is written so that, John says in John chapter 20, that we may believe that Jesus is the Christ, and that by believing we may have life in his name. And today, uh, in verses 3 through 5, we're going to see very simply that in a world where death and darkness overwhelm, Christ is the light and the life who overcomes. So let's read together from John 1. We're going to go back and read verses 1 and 2, uh, which we looked at last week, and we'll be in verses 3 through 5 today. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. So Jesus is the eternal and incarnate word of God. And we see here in verse three this morning that all things were created through him. All things were created through him. Let's emphasize that word all. John doesn't say some things or most things or even just things. John emphasizes that all things were created through him, which means that apart from himself, nothing in the created universe is eternal except for him. God the Father accomplishes all of his creating activity through Jesus Christ. So go back to Genesis 1, where we spent a lot of time last week as well, where the Father is speaking creation into existence alongside Christ, who is the Logos, the Word of God. So when he says, let there be light, he's creating that light through Christ. When he creates the sky, he creates it through Christ. When he creates water and dry land, he creates them through Christ. When he creates all land animals and sea creatures, he's creating them through Christ. When he says, let us make man in our image, that reference to the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, who have been from eternity past, after our own likeness, he speaks these words and creates mankind in the image of God through Christ. So uh, think for a second of a power supply that you would plug into an electrical outlet. As the second person of the Trinity, Christ is the source of creation. He is the outlet, so to speak. Um, so we're, we're going to look at and that in just a moment, but he's also the supply through which all the creation comes into existence. Last week, we looked really quickly at the words of Paul in Colossians 1, where he says, he, talking about Jesus, is the image of the invisible God. 
Jesus is the image of the invisible God, that no one has seen God, but Christ has come as God in the flesh to reveal to us who God is like. He is the image of the invisible God. So if you want to know what is God like, what does he look like? What does he sound like? What does he talk like? We see this revealed to us in Jesus Christ. Paul says, for by him, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authority, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things and in him, all things hold together. In the third and fourth century, Arius was a heretical teacher whose teachings were rejected and condemned by the early church councils because he took these words from Paul to mean that Christ himself was the first of all created beings. But what Paul is is teaching here, what he's writing here, emphasizes and echoes what John has said in verse 3, that Christ did not come into creation. He didn't come into existence when Mary gave birth to him. John says that Christ is the word who was from the beginning. And Paul calls him the firstborn of creation, not in the sense that Christ was created or born in eternity past, but in the sense that he possessed all of the rights and privileges of sovereignty that would be given to the son of a king. That's why the writer of Hebrews says in Hebrews 1, 1 and 2, long ago at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets, but in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. Last week, we emphasized how Jesus Christ himself is the final word of the father, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. That's why we stress that word all. For all things to have been created through him, he himself could not have been created. Otherwise, John and Paul would have had to say all things were created through him except for himself. So all things were created through him. And just to double down on the point, John says, without him was not anything made that was made. Just in case the all things side of it wasn't all clear, John just makes it even more abundantly clear to us that there's nothing that's been made that has been made that was made apart from Christ. More than this, Paul says that all things were created for him. So this is important that we see both sides as we just sang about this moment ago. It's the passage I read in our prayer from Revelation just a moment ago about how Jesus is the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end. Jesus is not just the gate through which all of creation ran. Jesus is the goal to which all of creation is running. He's at the beginning and he's at the end. Verse four, John says, in him was life. In him was life and the life was the light of men. So all things were created through him. And second, all of life commenced in him. There's a very, very subtle hint here, the difference that we, we need to, to differentiate here because it's subtle, but critical. That's where that whole extension cord analogy could get us in trouble. We don't disconnect one from the other because Jesus is not just the supply of all creating power as the one who's fully God. He is also the source of that power. In him was life and the life was the light of men. We saw last week, this is not past tense, as in there was life in him, but no longer is, but an imperfect tense, as in there was already life in him. Again, this language of life and light, it's taking us all the way back to the dawn of creation. What are the very first words that we see God speaking in all of the Bible? Let there be what? Light. Let there be light. And what does John tell us about Christ? He tells us here in John 1, in him was life and that life was the light of men. 
So don't miss the connection. Christ is the word through whom the father spoke the words, let there be light. And Christ himself is the light that's come into the world. So all of life finds its origin and beginning in him. Think of the interaction of Jesus and the woman at the well. If you read John chapter four, Jesus comes to her in the middle of the day, she's drawing water and he asked her for a drink. And she responds, because this is a little bit of a social faux pas between Jew and Samaritan. She asked him, how is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? So of course, she has no idea who she's talking to. How does Jesus graciously respond? He says to her, listen, if you knew the gift of God, if you knew the gift of God and you knew who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Jesus says, this is the type of water that when someone drinks it, they'll never grow thirsty again. So Jesus is not just the supply, he's also the source. He's where it's all coming from. There's, there's so many good arguments for, for the existence of God. We don't have time to, to break down all these this morning, but there's several good arguments to just point our hearts and minds back logically to the existence of creator. We can look at the cosmological arguments. This is the, the argument from cause that all of creation some way, somewhere had a starting point. So whether that this is fundamentally where, where those who, who believe in God and those who don't believe in God, we all ultimately land in somewhat of the same place. We believe that God is the starting point of all that, where those who don't believe in God would say that there's just matter that has collided. And we would just say, hey, there was just, there was someone who created that matter who it's not always just been there. And so we would say there's just, there's a God who's been there. So in, in many ways, it starts in the same place. It requires a, a, a leap of faith and believing uh, in a starting point. You can look at the cosmological argument, you look at the, the teleological argument. This is the argument from design that we would look at the universe and look at the world. It's so intricately and delicately created that we think, listen, there's no way this could all have just happened. It's just some random chance or accident. And as good as those arguments are, I think one of the greatest arguments for the existence of a God is the argument from desire. Is that you and I have been created with this insatiable craving and longing that nothing in this world can satisfy for us. So it could bring us back again, what we saw last week. I'll bring his words again, because he's just brilliant like that, are the words of C.S. Lewis. And this was the awakening for him. If I find within myself a desire that nothing in this world can satisfy, he said, the only logical explanation is that I was made for another world. And this is how we're created. This is how we're wired. We've been created in the image of God and the insatiable cravings of our heart can only be filled by the satisfaction that can be found in the eternal God. So because of sin, the moment you and I are born into this world, there's a sense in which we leave home. That there's a sense in which we, we, we leave our home. We're prodigal sons and daughters. We leave our place of origin and our lives are, are this journey, a desperate journey to try and find our ways back. But we take all of the wrong roads to get there. We're, we're longing for home. And so we seek home in all the wrong places. We seek it in social status and online attention and money and material possessions and sex and substances. But instead of enjoying all of these things as good gifts given to us by God that are intended to point us back, almost as signposts to point us back home, they become the gods that we worship. And so the ache cuts even deeper and the emptiness cuts even deeper. But the good news of the gospel says that God knew we couldn't find our way home, so home came to to us. We've left our home, but we had our start in him and we won't be satisfied until we find our finish in him. All life commences in him and none of our life will be content until we return to him. All things were created through him. All of life is commenced in him. And this is what John says fifth. He says, the light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. So third, all darkness is conquered by him. 
Everything's created through him. Everything finds its start in him and all of the darkness is conquered by him. And once again, John draws our binds back here to Genesis chapter one. He's just continually taking us back to the beginning, back to at least what we can reference as the starting point of all things. Why does God say, let there be light in Genesis 1-3? Well, we find that reason in Genesis 1-2. It says, the earth was formless and void and darkness was over the face of the deep. And there's a sense in, in which the, this picture creates for us life apart from God. What is the picture apart from God's created order in Genesis 1-2? It's chaos. It's confusion. It's darkness. It's difficult to even illustrate exactly what's happening in Genesis 1, 1, and 2 because there's, there's no rhyme or reason or form or shape. It's just total chaos and confusion. And so the picture John means to describe for us here is this world and our own spiritual condition apart from the intervening work of God. Apart from God, listen, it, it is impossible to make the case that this life has any sort of significance or meaning. Just think about this with you for a moment. If you and I have been born simply as the matter of, of random happenstance or chance, that there's no purpose to it, there's no meaning to it, just a a total matter of of random selection. And ultimately you and I are gonna die and we're just gonna disappear into utter unconscious oblivion. How do you make any sort of case that anything we do in between those things has any meaning or significance? We can't do it, but we can't do it. And that, that means that every evil thing that happens in this world, that means every terrible thing that happens in this world, all the pain, all the suffering, all the sorrow, all the brokenness, that means all of it, It has no meaning whatsoever. It's just a cold, cruel, and dark world. And and that's just sort of our existence. And you just sort of have to suck it up until one day you die. And if if that's the logical outcome of this, then guys, why why are we even trying? How crazy you'd have to be to subject yourself to that if you know that that's the reality. But being a follower of Jesus, it doesn't mean that we always get a reason. We always understand why the suffering is happening. But what we do find in Christ is the hope that our suffering has some sort of meaning. It gives us some reason to hope that God is somehow in some way that we probably will not see this side of eternity, may not see until we see him face to face. God is somehow in some way orchestrating all of this evil ultimately for good. That's the hope that we find in Jesus Christ. Apart from Christ, there's emptiness. Apart from Christ, it's chaos and confusion and darkness. But in the midst of it all, John 1 says that light emphatically rushed onto the scene. And suddenly there was peace and there was understanding as the absence of light was overcome with the presence of Jesus Christ. Here's how Christ's arrival was prophesied by Isaiah centuries before. He said to the nation of Israel, the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness on them, a light has shone. And we desperately needed this light to shine. We desperately needed this light to to come. The King James translation, I love this, translates John 1, 5 by saying, uh, number one, it says shineth instead of shine. And I just like that. It sounds much more Bible-y to to me. It says the light shine in the darkness. The darkness comprehended it not. The darkness couldn't comprehend the light because uh, our sin, I think what that's expressing to us, we're, we're not just dwelling in darkness. We're so lost in our darkness that we don't even know how to respond to the light. And in fact, we resist the light. That this is what sin does to us. Just think about, man, you're, you're, you're dead tired. You're asleep. It's two, three o'clock in the morning. 
And this is, you've probably been pranked in this way at least once in your life. Your kids have done this too. But you're, you're dead asleep and somebody busts up into the room and they flip up on the, all the lights and they start making a lot of noise. And how do you respond in that moment? I hate you. I will never speak to you again. This is the worst. We pull the pillow over our heads. And this is what we do in our sin when the light of God's holiness floods into our lives. We resist it. We don't comprehend it. We can't understand it, but it doesn't stop the light from overcoming in that moment. And this is why this is good news to us. It's the good news of the gospel is that God doesn't have to wait for us to understand it for him to overcome it. He can work in our weakness and our lack of faith. He can work in our lack of understanding. He doesn't need us to know all of the truth. He doesn't need us to know all of the answers to be able to shine the light into our lives. I love how D.A. Carson, is, is he's commented on this passage. And he said, apart from the light brought by the Messiah, the incarnate word, people love darkness because their deeds are evil. And when the light does put in appearance, they hate it because they do not want their deeds to be exposed. In fact, whenever it is true that the light shines in the darkness, it is also true that the darkness has not understood it. But the light has shined in the darkness and the darkness was not able to overcome. I love that first verse of the song that we've been singing a little bit here pretty, pretty frequently recently, uh, is, is He Worthy? It's that call and response song that we sing. Do you feel the world is broken? We do. Do you feel the shadows deepen? We do. But do you know that all the dark won't stop the light from getting through? We do. And do you wish that you could see it all made new? We do. And because the light has overcome the darkness, church, we can and we will. So what does this mean for us today? What, what does it mean for us that the light has shined into the darkness? Well, first, it means that we can know his word. So uh, as promised last week, this is going to be a point of application every single week uh, in this message, because I think the text calls for it, and I think it's just something that we need to continually emphasize. If you want to know the word, capital W, Jesus, you want to know the word, we have to know this word. This is 2 Timothy 3, 16 through 17. I want us to, to linger on these words here for just a moment. All scripture. Okay, all scripture. Didn't say again, some scripture or part of scripture or a little bit of scripture or just the gospels or just the red letters, all scripture. That means your entire Bible cover to cover, Genesis to Revelation, all 1,189 chapters, all scripture is breathed out by God. Can let that sit there for just a moment? This is breathed out by God. And this is why it's been given to us. It's profitable for teaching. It's profitable for reproof. It's profitable for correction, for training in righteousness. Why? That the man of God may be complete and equipped for every good work. How many good works? Every good work. So all of it has been given to us by inspiration of God, breathed out by God, and it's profitable for teaching and for reproof and for correction and training in righteousness. And it's given to us so that we can be complete and equipped for everything that God has given us to do. Our world today is, is full of voices. It has never been easier to have an immediate opportunity to express a, a public opinion that reaches hundreds or even thousands of people at once. So social media is constantly breathing out words and mainstream media breathes out words and opinion pieces breathe out words. And so I just wanna ask you this morning, are you constantly breathing in the toxic air of lies and opinion and scandal and hysteria and self-promotion of a dying world? Or are you and I breathing in the divine word of the living God? 
God has breathed out these words to us. Jesus is our vision of God and the Bible is our voice of God. This is his breath on pages that's been given to us. Jesus is our vision of God. We can know what he's like. Christ is our vision and the Bible is the voice. So this is not simply a book about God. These are words that were breathed out by God and they're the voice of God. The word who has been speaking from the beginning is still speaking to us today. And I just wonder how many of us are hitting the mute button on his voice by keeping our Bibles closed. We become deaf to his speaking because we are 24 seven listening to other voices that are not his maybe sometimes even our own a little bit too much. So beginning next week, we're going to spend a few Sundays um, putting a resource in your hand that's going to encourage you to to read the Bible, uh, the entire Bible together as as a church family in 2020. I think this is totally doable for our church family because if there's one thing I could say about Cross Community that gets me so fired up, it's, it's this. I love how much you guys love the Word of God. I love how much you love that this word, and I, I can't tell you what, what an incredible joy and a privilege it is each week getting up here knowing that I don't have to stand in front of you like a circus performer, that we really can just open up this word and let it stand on its own. I have a, have a unique vantage point where I feel like every single week for, for three years, I get to stand up here and I, I see from, from here a few more pages turning in Bibles and I see a few more notes being taken. I see the, the zeal and intensity on your faces each week as we search together the word of God. And it has always been my prayer because this is my story and I hope it becomes your story. And it's always been my prayer that this would become the testimony and prayer of every single person who comes through our doors. Love these words from Augustine. And this was his experience, his testimony. Lord, you struck my heart with your word and I loved you. His words have been breathed out to us by God. This is God speaking to his people. And I want us to be a church that opens up our ears and says, yes, Lord, speak. Speak to us through your word. I want us to be a church that breathes in what God has breathed out and to be a people who breathe out those words of truth in a world that knows only death because the light has overcome the darkness and God in his grace has opened our minds to know the gospel and we can confidently know his word. Secondly, I think it means for us that we walk in his light. Because the light has come, we can walk in that light. Remember John, who wrote the gospel of John, also around roughly same time frame, wrote uh, three letters to the church, first, second, and third John. We went through these together uh, as a church family a couple of years ago. So I wanna read that this is first John 1, five through 10, that almost seems to be a commentary, an elaboration of what John has written in the gospel of John chapter one. He says, this is the message we have heard from him and proclaim to you that God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. John says, if we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light, As he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. Now, when we uh, went through the book of 1st through 3rd John, a couple years ago, the series was titled Blessed Assurance. And the reason for that is because First uh, John tells us that the book was written that we may know that we have eternal life. That's the reason John wrote these letters, so that we can have confidence in our salvation. 
And we just emphasize how for every believer in Jesus Christ, that God has not saved us to, to walk around, kind of living life on the scales, hoping that we're doing more good than we're doing bad so that we can get heaven in the end. No, we, we rest in the confidence of the perfection of what Jesus Christ has accomplished for us, our faith in his life, death, and resurrection, that we are not saved by our works, we're saved by grace. We emphasize all these things. So that's why we call it blessed assurance, was to have confidence. But we almost call the message series black and white because John speaks in very black and white terms that there's not a whole lot of gray here. Listen to the statements he makes. God is light and in him there is no darkness. Just mic drop, period. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and we don't practice the truth. If we say we have no sin, John says, we are deceiving ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we say we have no sin, calling God a liar. So John just spells it out for us, plain and simple black and white terms, but he also gives us this incredible promise and assurance. But if we confess our sins, you ignore your sin. You, you say you don't have sin. You're calling God a liar. You're deceiving yourself. It breaks fellowship with other believers. But John says, but if we confess our sins, he's faithful and he's just and he'll forgive us of our sins. So there's no confusion here from John. God is perfectly holy in him. There is no sin, which is to say that if you and I are claiming to be Christians, we claim I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. And yet we live in these patterns of, of open, unrepentant, unconfessed sin. We're calling God a liar. That this is one of the defining characteristics of what it means to, to be a true follower of Christ and to be someone who's a Christian in name only is just the question, what are you doing with your sin? Do we justify it and rationalize it and minimize it? We're always comparing ourselves to others and, well, at least I'm not that bad. Or do we just acknowledge our sin for what it is that it's an infinite offense against an infinitely holy God? And do we live in the confidence that if we confess that sin, he's faithful and he's just, and he's not going to turn us away. He's going to welcome us in. This is the confidence we find here. We don't have to live in the fear of what happens if we bring our sin into the light. Church, this is so important for us to understand. You do not have to live in fear of what's going to happen if you lay your sin before God. Listen, the thing about God is that he's actually God and he already knows. So it's not like when we come to him with our sin, he's like, where did that come from? Never would have expected it. Of course he expected it. That's why he sent us Jesus. He saw this, he knew, he knows our sin before we ever even bring it to him. It's simply an acknowledgement before him of what he already knows, but maybe we don't know. That confession is just as much about justifying us before God as it is making us understand who we are apart from God, which is that we're dead and we're sin and we're lost in our sin. But because of what Christ has done for us, He's faithful, he's just, he'll forgive. He cleanses us from all unrighteousness. He gives us his Holy Spirit. And the confidence in our salvation is not in our ability to hold on to God, but in God who is holding on to us. And that's good news. That's good news. Because man, if I could lose my salvation, I promise you, I would. We all would. Feels like a good time for the annual public service announcement that any teaching that says you can lose your salvation is a lie from the mouth of Satan born from the pit of hell. All the good theologians said, amen. This is, this is the promise of his word. The father has bought you at the price of his son's own life. You think he's just gonna let you go? No, absolutely not. He's called us out of death. He's holding us firmly in his grasp and he leaves no work unfinished. He who began the good work in us will complete it at the day of Jesus Christ. We can know his word. We can walk in his light. And third, we can rejoice in his victory. 
and the light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. This is the one thing I love about our faith. Christianity begins where every other story ends. It's the only true story where the introduction is death and the conclusion is life. And this is what we're promised. This is what we're given is that when we get to the place where all of, of hope seems lost, when the conclusion appears to be irreversibly written, when the darkness seems to completely overwhelm, that is the time and place where God is just getting started. That is the place where the story begins. What's this look like to be light shining in a darkness? I, I think it looks like this. Um, that there's a pastor in Tennessee area named Eric Reed who has a, a podcast I like to listen to called Hopeful Sufferers. And um, over the last couple of years, I've followed the journey of his family as they've uh, shared the story of their son, Caleb, who's been uh, plagued with chronic illnesses his entire life. And um, they just share about the challenges that this has created for their family. And uh, Caleb had a completely deficient immune system. And uh, last week, last Sunday, after a bout with pneumonia, Caleb uh, went home to be with the Lord at the age of 15. And so um, Eric, a few days ago, preached his own son's funeral. And I got to, didn't get to watch the entire thing online, but I got to hear a good bit of his message. And this was the hope that he shared for everyone who listened. A father who has lost his son. This is the hope he shared for all who listen. The gospel makes the sting of death whimper and quake. That is light shining into the darkness. It's light being in the darkness. It's, it's not a refusal to acknowledge that the darkness exists, but it's a celebration of the fact that the darkness has been overcome. The, the gospel makes the sting of death whimper and quake. And this is the testimony of the people of God. We are not a people without suffering. We're people who suffer well. We cry tears of sorrow, but it's only as we sing harmony to that shout of victory, yea, when this heart and flesh will fail and mortal life shall cease, I shall possess within the veil a life of joy and peace. We sang this earlier, and Paul makes it clear for us in 1 Corinthians 15. For this perishable body must put on the imperishable, and this mortal body must put on immortality. When the perishable puts on the imperishable and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. Death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who does what? He gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord, your labor is not in vain. So Father, we praise you and we thank you for this promise of the gospel. We thank you for the promise that the light has shined into the darkness and that the darkness could not overcome it. That as we stand overwhelmed and surrounded by death and darkness, you are the life and the light that is breaking through and bursting onto the scene. And so Father, I pray for every person in this room. Lord, I know there are many here today who are in darkness, are surrounded by sickness, are surrounded by death, are surrounded by anxiety and depression, and the brokenness of this world just seems to have its grip in us. And will you help us to stand this morning, even in this moment, in the victory of Jesus Christ? Help us to know that the suffering of this present world is not even close to being worthy of being compared to the joy that is to come with you. Set our eyes on that day. We will be in your presence and we will see you face to face.
where the final death blow will be dealt to death itself and will forever find life in you.